Well, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. In this show, something a little different. It is a recording of a panel I moderated at the Wealth Professional Wealth Tech Summit recently. And the title of the panel discussion was How the Wealth Industry is Adapting to Technology and Revolutionizing the Future of Advice. Joining me for this panel is Tom Burmeister, VP of Financial Planning for Navaplan by InvestClub, Robert Smuck, President and CEO of Agora Dealer Services, Kendra Thompson, Partner, National Wealth and Investment Management Leader at Deloitte Canada, and Joseph Lowe, VP of Wealth Innovation at Broadridge. And here is our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. It's time to introduce the kickoff panel in today's event, how the wealth industry is adapting to technology and revolutionizing the future of advice. Here to lead this discussion is Jason Pereira, partner and senior financial planner at the Woodgate Financial. He's also the host of the FinTech Impact podcast and uniquely suited to captain this conversation. Jason, over to you. Uniquely suited. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us today. I uh, greatly appreciate everyone's turning out and uh, I want to get make sure we spend as much time talking as possible. So let's dive in first with a, um, by letting the panel introduce itself. Uh, ladies first, Kendra, if you could please tell us who you are and what it is you do. Sure, so my name's Kendra Thompson. I'm a partner in Deloitte's consulting practice. I lead the business we call the future of advice and investing, which is focused on what Canadian families care about as it relates to their investments, uh, what they're willing to pay for, and how the industry is transforming to deliver that at scale for a profit. I work across all asset classes and models. I work with incumbents, new entrants, fintech players, and the regulators. And I have a good line of sight on where the technology spend is going in this market. Excellent. And over to Joseph. Hey, everyone. I'm Joseph Lowe, Vice President of Wealth Product Innovation for Broadridge, a global fintech company focused on artificial intelligence to make the wealth management lifecycle better. Excellent. Robert? Good morning. Thank you, Jason. My name is Robert Smuck, President and CEO of Agora Dealer Services. I'll do a, a quick one-liner on Agora since uh, the, the other companies around the table here today are very well known. We're still early stage organization, but we are a B2B caring dealer created to help advisors and dealerships provide meaningful advice to all of their clients. So we're here to allow the advisors and dealers to become more efficient. And lastly, Tom. Hi, everybody. Tom Burmeister, Vice President of Financial Planning with Navaplan. Uh, now happy to be part of the InvestCloud family. Uh, Navaplan is a financial planning software suite that over 100,000 advisors across North America use to create millions of financial plans every year. So excited to be part of this great panel. Excellent. And congratulations on the acquisition. That was just a little over a week ago, was it? Yeah. Yep. Excellent. So let's jump in. First question I have for everybody is in your specific question of the fintech world, what is the most prevalent trend that you see happening? And what are the risks and opportunities coming from that trend? And I'm going to go in reverse order to the introduction. So Tom, I'll let you start first. Sure. I think certainly just the trend that I'll pick on is probably alternative fee-based models. That's, uh, that's something that I think is getting more and more focus and uh, a little bit more creativity as well, just because of the, the appeal that it has to all of the scalability that needs to happen to serve a wider number of investors in a more efficient way. I think the risk with that are, are certainly that it's a it's a massive, massive change for the way we think about charging for advice. We've gone through several evolutions here when it comes to whether it's, it's technology adoption or many other things, regulatory changes, and and we've seen advisors be relatively slow to adopt that. So I think that that's probably the biggest risk, but I think as we start to focus on that more and start to embrace it, we'll see that the masses will follow and we'll have uh, we'll truly have democratized advice in the hands of more people. 
So that is a largely U.S. experience. So let, let's just clarify. What you're really talking yep. about is things like uh, retainer-based planning or yep. you know, percentage of income-based planning, other methods of getting planning into hands other than AUM yep. or commission. And given that deferred sales charge is now officially dead in Canada, this yep. is a conversation I hope we start seeing north of the border significantly more. So uh, same question. Over to you, Robert. I'll take a, a, a different approach. Uh, the trend I see right now is the is our clients and our clients' desire to have everything at their fingertips. Our clients are now more tech savvy than they've ever been. My mom in her 80s does all of her banking and all of her financial planning all online. And of course, my daughters who are in their teenage years think having to go and have a meeting with somebody would be the craziest thing possible to have to not have everything at your fingertips when you want it, where you want it, anytime, anywhere. So really, are we there? Financial services industry has been behind other industries, and our clients are now expecting what they get from other industries to be within this industry. So I think there's a real risk if we don't move forward or if you, if an advisor doesn't move forward to start meeting those tech-savvy needs and desires of the client base. Your daughter's not the only one who's impatient for that. Joseph, over to you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Robert. Uh, certainly from the Broadridge side, what we're seeing is a need to be more open and have more APIs, which enables partner ecosystems, choice for advisors and what tools that they can use to provide the service they need for their clients. Ultimately, there needs to be more personalization of service. And one the way that that happens is actually through technology that enables open ecosystems for that. Excellent. Open ecosystems. That's a new term in Canada, sadly. And Kendra, over to you to wrap this up. Yeah, I mean, when I look at it systemically, I see uh, an acceleration in the pace of modernization, and that plays out differently, whether you're sitting with the regulators and the challenge that they're going to have to deal with innovation and simplification, whether you're sitting with the large bank-owned dealers where they're looking at essentially completely rebuilding and modernizing their technology and reinventing a single service continuum across the banks or insurance organizations, or whether you're a new entrant or service provider to the industry looking to serve either the big banks or the independent players and trying to reinvent how you can help take the cost out of scaling advice and how you can ensure that the value of advice is sustainable at a lower cost footprint. So for us, we saw that play out south of the border starting probably about 48 months ago. And all the preconditions that we saw there as it related to executive moves, changes in operating model, mergers, uh, major, major technology investments, the collapsing of brands, all those things are coming up now in the conversations that we have with executive teams in this market. And uh, just to put a little example on it, the discretionary spend on technology from our bank-owned wealth management clients is up about 60% this year. So just to give you a sense of how seriously um, the big players are thinking of modernizing. That's really where we see things. I'll throw something in. There's a benchmark study out of the U.S. Uh, I think it was Joel Brustein did it about what even small advisors should be spending on technology. And that number was pegged at between 6 and 10%. So I specifically, I would challenge everybody in the audience to contemplate just how much you're actually spending and realize that our peers south of the border are, are spending a lot more time digitizing and seeing the benefits of that than we are here. So Second question. Let's. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Kendra, and work my way back again. So the focus on fintech is often on the investment side. That's where a lot of this has been placed for the last little while. But besides investing, how are you seeing technology being used to support other areas of financial planning? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And maybe this is because of the media, and or maybe this is just because as individuals, it's easier to consume 
the trends and the changes that are closest to our own experience. We focus a huge amount of our energy on the front end of the value chain. And that's where like a lot of the noise and energy around fintech has been. But when I look at what inspires me most or what I get most excited about, it's where I see meaningful innovation on removing the cost to serve. And I see right now both our incumbent players, those who seek to serve independence and some of the utilities in our market really investing in taking the cost, taking the time, taking the people and the paper out of the value chain. It's not as sexy as a new robo feature. It's not as sexy as, you know, a, a digital interface, but in many ways it will be what allows our industry to modernize. And I would be watching this space closely as many of the banks in Canada modernize their platform. We are seeing some of the global best vendors starting to show up in a meaningful way in Canada. They're doing that through acquisition and through determining anchor transformations at the banks that they can use to get a Canadian footprint. With those players in our market, it will mean that the cost of serve will come down dramatically and it will increase the pressure on the smaller players to keep up. And I'll move this uh, so back around to the circle. Joseph, yourself. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The The definition of advice is so so much beyond investments now, whether it's advisors helping clients with their debt and lending, their insurance, even things like health and wellness, right? Estate planning, that's all part of it, right? And investments are just is just one slice of, you know, what we see is where the advisor really is the quarterback of all the, all the various things that need to happen in the wellness of a person and wellness of a client and a family right? and everything associated with that. So certainly that, you know, the, the theme that I would kind of lean on is just the health and wellness element, especially um, as people are getting older, that it's such an important thing. Planning for care, planning for all the things associated with that is becoming so important. Robert? I think I'll add on to Joseph's where if we take it one step further and we, we think about those expectations and we think about the advisor's ability to provide that meaningful advice and now advice is a much broader scope than it was in the past. You need more time with your clients. You need to be able to spend more time understanding more and more about what their goals are, what their desires, what their needs are to either themselves or to their family. And this kind of links back into Kendra's is, well, if you need more time, how are you going to get that? You're not going to suddenly be able to suddenly work 20 hours a day. So you're going to have to find that time by looking at the maybe the low value add activities and how do you digitize it, as Kendra was really saying, or how do you outsource it? So I think the other thing, Jason, that uh, you've mentioned in the past is really about the, the squeeze of margin also. And so if I want to continue to have a profitable business, it's I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to have more clients and to be able to have more clients. Once again, I'm going to need more time. I'm going to need more time because those clients are also having expectations that advice is no longer just stock picking or mutual fund picking. So there's a whole bunch of pressure on that advisor. And I think what we have to look at is how can we help them take the low value add activities out of their day-to-day -day work efforts? Uh, given you cited me, I'm going to correct that statement. I have not never said more clients. I have always said fewer, quite actually, quite honestly, in deeper, more meaningful relationships. In fact, that has actually been the trend in the RIA space is a move from what was a sweet spot of 100 households down to something getting closer to 60 now. If you want to maintain margin, you don't do that on volume. You maintain, you replace margin with volume. If you want to maintain margin, you have to deepen that offering. Sorry, Robert, not the mechanic there, but if you're going to quote me, I'm going to correct it. Yeah. Tom, yourself. I don't have a Jason quote to throw out there, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick on the- uh, Now, the now you've been warned. Be yeah. make sure you're right. <laughs> um, I'll continue on kind of the time management efficiency side of things. I think without a set of efficient and repeatable processes in place for onboarding, onboarding clients, 
setting up the, what their first 100 days looks like across a variety of different client types. I'm not saying everybody deserves the same cookie cutter experience. However, I think a lot of people, we're talking a lot about technology today and we will always continue to, but I think te uh, technology is just part of the equation of being successful in the future. I use the analogy all the time. You can't just buy a gym membership, go stand in the gym and expect to get the benefits. You can't just expect technology to come in and transform your practice. You need to work with your staff, your partners, everybody else to make sure that when a client, when you're onboarding a client, when you're set setting up a client meeting, whether it's virtual, whatever is personalized to what that client needs and something that, that can scale across the rest of your client base very efficiently. Okay. So next question for you is there's really two kind of primary channels we're talking about here. They're kind of gone convoluted. I want to spe specifically break out how FinTech is influencing the advisor space in traditional channels, call them the bank-owned channels versus the independent channels. How are we seeing, what kind of differences are we seeing there? And I'm going to start in the middle this time with Robert and work my way up and then back to Tom. I, I don't have as much experience on the on the, kind of the large bank channels. And, and I think Kendra and, and Joseph probably have a lot more experience on, on there. So I'm going to kind of focus a little more on the independent channels and also kind of how fintech overall is kind of impacting everybody. So one of the things is fintech's coming at us incredibly quickly. It's, it's the analogy of drinking from the fire hose. And so there's a view at times that people go to the next shiny object. And I think that that's across the board. In that case, I don't think if it, it matters if it's the big firms or the small firms, kind of what is that neat new thing? And am I suddenly going to jump and move to it? So I would say really the, the financial advisors need to look at a, a blueprint. And in that, they need to develop their blueprint. They need to determine what they want to get out of technology and stay along that path. Continue to learn more and more about the new technologies that are taking place. But the shiny object thing, it's really detrimental to efficiencies that you'd want to build within kind of within your organization. So I really take that and say, you know, that's one facet of it. The second facet of it is I think technology is there to the point where now the challenge is human nature's resistance to change. And are we as people uh, willing to make the number of changes that we really need to these days to modernize our business? And so I think the world of fintechs continue to throw more and more at us. Are we willing to make the change and are we able to willing to adapt and adopt as quickly as possible? Uh, you like shiny objects. Joseph, over to you. <laughs> I like shiny objects. Um, I mean, Rob, to your point, I agree that advisors need to have a blueprint for what technology they, they introduce. But I think what we're seeing here is kind of a shift from some of the, not a shift, but a, a, a continuum of some of the operational digitization, right? Things like e-signatures, which have really accelerated because of the pandemic, the paperless technologies and things like that, where, you know, I think the next generation of technologies that are going to be required are ones that enable digital collaboration, right? Uh, ways to to be able to chat and communicate in a compliant way. And some of those things, you know, I think are going to be key as we talk about, you know, moving from transactional based processing to relational based uh, relationship kind of facilitation. Uh, one of the things that I was going to kind of comment on in terms of uh, fintech influencing the independence, for example, is the hunger for aggregation, being able to bring in data about the person. And when we talk about personalization, you can't really be have a personalized experience without the whole picture. And as we know, in, in Canada, it's always been a challenge to get a full picture, especially from the banks. I think technology is starting to influence that, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Plaid or Flinks, some of these companies are, are doing a great job starting to bring that uh, more to the masses, to the independents, and also to the fintech app, app creators out there. Been waiting for that my entire life. Kendra. Yes. I'm with Robert, net new capability add and feature and function vendor plugins. We've spent a lot of time trying to just get 
things onto platforms. And that's been hard for independents to keep up with. I actually think the biggest shift that I'm seeing right now should benefit the independents because it's essentially a recontemplation of the enablement from the outside in. So what are the conversations you want to have with clients that they value and that you want to be prepared and informed and enabled to have? And then what do you need to have at your fingertips or in their digital world in order to do that well? And one of the biggest things we see is if you take a look at the biggest and best desktops that have been built to support advisors on both sides of the border, the things you actually need to support most of the work you do, it's in the sort of 12 to 15% range of all the features and functions and things that have been bought and paid for and installed and connected and converted over the last number of years. So we see a move towards radically simplifying that with a mobile first mindset. We see a move towards bringing capabilities together at the point that matters. Salesforce is an example of a vendor that has played a major role in creating the container and the data model that allow that to happen. But regardless of what vendor it is, regardless of what fintech capability, we see a move away from the concept of portal or hunting and pecking for the different things that you need, a movement away from what we call Uh, digitizing the dysfunction, where we just automate something that never really worked for our clients anyways, and a movement away from design by noise, which is this chasing of the bright, shiny object that Robert mentioned earlier. And instead saying, what are the conversations that matter? And then how do I enable that conversation in a smart and simple and intuitive way? And the reason that's going to be really important for independence is that it'll drastically drive down the set of things that you need to go and get and really focus towards getting the right things that are integrated at the right point in time. For the banks, the big challenge will be that they have multiple versions of everything. And so for them, it's almost like an internal merger of all their platforms and bringing those all to be one single platform. I hope they like coding COBOL. Anyway, Tom, over to you. Yeah, I'm going to tack on with, uh, with from the independent advisor standpoint, it's all about building a tech stack. I think if you, you think about just how much, Jason, your your uh, your kind of fintech map, which is a great great new addition to kind of the Canadian fintech landscape as far as laying that all out, just how much it's grown and how much it will likely continue to grow, it can be a very daunting task. And this is something that, that folks, you need to really start to plan this out, not do it piece by piece, integrated tech stacks. Where is your data going to live? Just because you see it all in your CRM does not mean it lives there. Where does your data actually live? Because your clients are going to have the same expectations from a service and accessibility standpoint as they're going to, as they can get from the big, uh, the big institutions. And, and the tools are out there for you to provide that. It's just making sure that you're not making your life harder by having a bunch of disparate systems that you have to re-enter data into. Yeah. That, uh, anyone who's seen that thing transfer in the last six months has seen it exponentially grow. So at this rate, I'm going to find out what the limit on air cable fields is going to be shortly. Anyway, so next question. For firms and individuals who have not taken the first steps to digitize their practices, what are the first steps they should think about doing when it comes to digital transformation? I'm going to start with, uh, with Joseph. Yeah, Jason, thanks for the question. I would say that the first things you have to do is really focus on the things that are taking up your time that you don't want to be doing. Typically, that's going to be, you know, your administrative work, kind of the the, the paperwork associated with it. You want to be focusing on the areas where where you get value, whether it's so focusing on the client conversations. Um, Some of the things that we're seeing that are easy to pick up now are electronic signatures, digitization of documents, the workflows associated with that. Um, I think people get a lot of immediate uptick from that. Secondly, from there is really streamlining the, the conversations that you have with your clients and digitizing that as well. Robert? Agree with everything Joseph said. Maybe I'll just take it, I'll, I'll turn it kind of 180 and say, um, also need to understand what your clients 
are willing to do and willing to use. Because, I mean, Kendrick was really interesting there. 10 to 15% is, is all that's really useful or 12 to 15%, whatever the numbers were. So there's a whole bunch that you think your clients may want and they're not going to use. So why muddy the waters? Why make it almost impossible to use because there's so many widgets and gadgets and everything else out there? So really understanding that. And then on top of it, there is a massive amount of people that have are cyber scared. They feel that if they start to use more and more technologies, how safe are they? And when we think about any population and you know, sorry, we think about stories kind of every day, every week, there's somebody that's been hacked and it's not usually the little small folks that's been hacked, it's someone big. So if you can hack into those, you can probably have people hack into anywhere. So I think it's understanding what clients want and will use and also making sure that you understand their aspect to technology around being scared around the cyber aspect of it. All right. And Tom? So I think if you're if you're in a leadership position to uh, spearheading this to move to digitization, I think I can give you so many examples of, of how somebody in the leadership role's vision for implementing technology was so out of whack with what was actually happening on the execution side of delivering advice. So I like to use the phrase, if you're a leader doing this, touch bottom. Uh, you, need to, you need to engage with the people that are sending the facts, that are, get, that are working with clients to fill out all those annoying forms. Everything like that, you need to make sure that all the stakeholders involved and you're starting with, again, like I said before, the process first, not necessarily let's get technology and then reform all of our our process around that. You got to start with what works and then make sure you can find technology that helps you even better, be even better at what you're already good at. Yeah, it's the old generals versus privates problem. (laughs) They think they know what's going on in the battlefield, but not so much sometimes. And Kendra. Yeah, I mean, this is a well-trodden path. And it's moving quickly. I would highly encourage the identification of the right partners and not trying to cut your own rug or figure it all out from scratch. There are examples in market of what good looks like. And if you're late to the party, there's a bit of a benefit to that in that you can have a look and actually tangibly experience what others have built. And I would highly encourage not doing a pick and pack of all the vendors or being overly focused on the sort of cutting edge of any one piece of the puzzle, but instead having a concerted plan that's based on what matters most to the humans. So I build on what what Tom said there, get close to the work, what is the work? How do we want to do the work? And then find someone who's enabled that work in a way that makes sense. The vendor space is really uh, getting better. You see on this call, some really awesome vendors showing up to support the industry. In my job, a lot of what I do is try to bring world-class vendors to the Canadian market. There has been an, a resurgence of interest now that the big players are spending and that that modernization curve is steeper. I would really encourage any independent to take advantage of those partnerships and not do it the hard way because you'll run out of time and money if you're trying to learn on the job. And um, a lot of this is available to you. And the last thing I would just say is there is an, um, an ethos within advisor communities that, you know, cut everything is special or customized or unique about my business, my clients, my brand, my what have you. We saw that play out to the detriment of independence in the U.S. There are many, many things that advisors do that are highly systemizable and do not need to be customized. And I would encourage any individuals or small groups of individuals not to over-customize any out-of-the-box technology. Yeah, the um, agree with all that, especially the late to the party. You basically just define the Canadian scene in general. Okay, so next question for you. 
So one of the biggest issues in providing advice to clients is in the mass market is the cost of overhead. We kind of touched upon this already. What trends are you seeing that are addressing this issue and helping drive down the cost of overhead in delivery of advice to consumers? And I'm going to start from Tom and work my way through you. Yeah, I think uh, digitized onboarding, I think, is one of the one of the biggest bottlenecks in the process of, of scaling, uh, scaling advice and getting uh, a defined set of tasks and other things that are for I, I like to call it the first hundred days. I've already alluded to that a few times. I think there's a lot to unpack here, so I won't hog the entire topic. Not that everyone else has to has to run with it, but I'll keep it short and sweet with that one. And Robert, I think it's uh, I'll continue with that one, Tom, because really, once you've digitized it, how many systems are out there that the data needs to go to? and are willing to accept it. And so I know Joseph started talking about open APIs and that's great, but I think we are well behind other industries on allowing the data to be easily moved between systems. I can tell you that I have um, painful experiences on a weekly basis trying to get data in and out of systems that should just be able to be done in fractions of seconds and it's just not being done. So. I think we still need to shake up a, a, a little bit out there to be able to do this. But Tom, I agree with you. Let's digitize it up front and then let's figure out how to flow it everywhere that it needs to flow to. All right. And Joseph? Yeah, absolutely, Robert. I mean, getting data, getting systems talking together is sort of the, has to be the expectation of kind of the, the next generation. And from our perspective, one of the key areas, the key ways to scale is to really use tools like artificial intelligence to be able to identify clients at risk, clients and, and map services to clients and without having to without having to go through every single client profile and getting some scale on that regard in order for that to work you're right the data has to come together and the systems need to be able to talk together in order to surface those opportunities okay and Kendra I'm gonna say I agree with everything that was said but I have a slightly different way of thinking about it when we think about scaling advice to mass and mass affluent Canadians I think we have to think of challenging the paradigm that you either get advice or you don't, you either pay all the time or you don't. What we really, for many Canadians, they needed an intense advisor-led experience somewhere between six and eight times over their adult life, usually around major milestones or changes. And I would, I would encourage all of us across industry to try to meet that need in new ways, either through subscription, pay by the drink or hybrid models, and by um, challenging our regulators not to force consumers to choose between either getting advice and paying for it all the time or not getting enough advice and being self-directed when that's truly not how they see themselves. I see that change as being one of the biggest things that will blow the doors open for advisors of all types to choose different service models for different client profiles and not to fall into the trap of having to offload clients that are not profitable or even worse, maybe serve them less than they need in order to justify a less profitable client family. I also see this as an opportunity for different career models and op and combinations of technology and humans across the service continuum for advice. Technology will let that happen because the right hand and the left hand will know what they're doing and what you experience through a digital interaction will be easily available for advisors and vice versa, something that hasn't been possible in the past. I see a couple of questions coming in. Uh, let's try to hold those off to the end. If we have time, we will answer them. Otherwise, there will be a breakout session afterwards where most, if not everybody, will join. And I'm answering whatever tech questions you have along the way where possible. Okay, so Canada, 
The big story in Canada recently when it comes to fintech is the wealth simple valuation at 4 billion US, 5 billion Canadian, depending on the exchange rate of the day. And I have been feeling all kinds of questions about this. And this not only came with a large check, but it came with a large check from some very heavy hitters in the VC space. A lot of people making fun of this, not getting it. Why does this make sense? Let's talk to Kendra first. I can't comment on Wealthsimple because they're a client and I don't comment on my clients. But what I will comment on for anyone looking across the space, be careful not to assume that the current instance of a business in channel or in its value proposition is what the value is. Almost every player we see, we see build capabilities within a brand or channel and then repurpose those capabilities across the platform. If you want to understand the strategy of a sort of a platform build, take a look at what Schwab or Fidelity or BlackRock or Merrill B of A have done south of the border. That is the strategy that we see many players in this market embarking on. And I would encourage anyone who doesn't understand that valuation to take a look at how some of those players have fared as they've executed their strategies south of the border. Okay, Joseph? Yeah, I mean, what strikes me about the Wealthsimple acquisition and uh, with the kind of the fundraise and the and the strategy there is how quickly they are able to launch new products, whether it's their Venmo competitor, whether it's their their trade, all these different things, crypto. It goes to it really speaks to how important it is to get the tech stack right and having you know a focus on what the customers' needs are and how all the data talks together, right? So, I mean, what they what they've done is really impressive, and certainly we're watching uh, what they'll be doing in the future. Robert. I think you can think a little bit on the brand too, um, or maybe a lot on the brand. I do agree with what Kendra was saying, which is it's the, if you want to call it, it's a unified platform, but it's a unified platform that's beyond financial advice, potentially, or all aspects of financial advice. But really, when you think about the brand, it's almost as if people don't talk about robos, they talk about well, simple. It's kind of the Kleenex. And so if you suddenly have that brand and you have that brand across, not just the millennials, but it's going well beyond that, where is the wealth going to move? in the next 10 to 15 years. So if it moves to that group, then as Kendra was saying, don't value today and don't necessarily value the way companies think about being valued, think about what might be there in the future. Yeah, I'll just point out that you know, we've talked a lot about the themes of how important it is to service mass affluent investors, uh, scaling advice, all of these all of these things. And I think thinking who, who's in the best spot to do that when it comes to reaching out to the 2 million Canadian clients that they currently have on the WealthSimple Wealth platform. I mean, there's a there's some uh, you know significant head start there when it comes to expanding this. We've seen it down in the down here in the U.S., especially with, I think, the, the emerging banking play that WealthSimple is very close to. So, so I think, yeah, not as surprised. Yeah, I'll make two comments to that that I've answered many times. It's one, let's not forget, everybody's been talking about the intergenerational wealth transfer forever. And guess what? They went out and got that market, the people who are inheriting that money. So if you think that's not valuable, you're wrong. And secondly, the internet has taught us one thing. Attention is currency. And they have a lot of attention and they have a lot of loyalty. And if they can maintain that over the lifetime of a client for the entire duration of their lifetime, that's a lot of money. Anyway, moving on. What is the most exciting or innovative application of technology you've seen in the last 12 months? And I'm going to start with Robert. Jason, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it a little bit and say it's, it's not in Canada yet, or I haven't seen it in Canada yet. And maybe Kendra can comment a little bit on that, but it's, it's the unified platform. So has anybody really built it out fully yet in Canada? I haven't seen it. I'd love to. And then what you can do is you can have a lot of really interesting pieces around it and they don't have to be. They don't have to have necessarily the sizzle. They have to have the usefulness. So, you know, there's things like cascades there for decumulation strategy and there's vigilant 
uh, CS there for digitizing compliance. Sounds boring, but those are the types of things we need to take the cost out of the business overall. So I like a lot of the plug and plays that people are, are building, but how do we bring it together into that unified platform? I haven't seen that. I'll just make the comment that I can see it slowly being built on multiple fronts. So, Joseph. I'm going to pick a, a small point solution to take the other, other side to Robert. Uh, one of the most impressive pieces of technology I've seen recently is uh, what some uh, some of the guys and girls are doing at the Tiffin Group. They've built a search engine. I think it's called Magnify. What they do is they use AI to read all the underlying earnings reports and all the kind of company statements for every ETF and mutual fund. And lets users kind of search for things like underlying themes, ESG, the track record, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what advisors are doing is they're using that to optimize their portfolios for themes. You know, let's say you want to you look for investments, whether it's discoverability, look for investments for, for clean energy or for clean air, or you want to reduce kind of fossil fuels in your thing, in your portfolio, you can do that now. We're integrating some of that technology into our broader stack. And Tedra? I'm a Merrill alum, and I will say that what Kabir, Sethi, and the Merrill digital team has done is just everything I've been talking about for seven years, actually live and available to touch. And for those of you that saw their news release around the fully digital onboarding, I mean, that's been the utopia of onboarding strategy uh, for years. And I've worked with many across the industry on pieces of it to see it live and, and actually happening and to realize that advisors were at the heart of what they designed and advisors are adopting it in droves. I think it's for me, the most inspiring platform in the, in the world right now. And it's certainly a beacon for our industry here in Canada. Don't assume that most advisors pay attention to what happens south of the border, which is something I often comment about. Tom? My favorite thing is I think there's the technology is just allowing us to, it's allowing access for the, in the mainstream fashion for, for strategies that were previously reserved for our ultra, the ultra high net worth folks. So my, some of my favorite stories are, are companies like Masterworks that allowed anybody to invest in fine art, Titan, uh, hedge fund-like investing, uh, Halo, structured financing for as little as a thousand bucks, things like that, I think. So the advice I have for advisors is do not act dumbfounded when your clients come and ask you about this. I'm not saying you have to recommend them because there's, there's, you're in charge of the bigger picture, but your clients will start to ask you about this. And it's best to be at least in the know about what's, what's out there and, and why or why not you might decide to recommend it or not. So that was the panel from the Wealth Professional Summit. I hope you enjoyed that discussion and uh, got some ideas of what's going on in the marketplace. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.